What's doing, everybody? Today is Tuesday, January 9th. The face of January 6th, the Q shaman, Jacob Chansley, joins me on the podcast today, as well as Florida Congresswoman Kat Kamak. Plus, the spending bill has the spending up and the border not shutting down. We're going to talk about all that and so much more. I'm Alec Lace. This is The Alec Lace Show. The American family is under attack. Parents are the underdog of this nation. Your children are being indoctrinated. That's right. Your children. They do not belong to the state. They do not belong to the school system. They belong to you, the parents, as a blessing from God our Father. So let's preserve, protect, and fight for the American family together. You're listening to The Alec Lake Show. The future is family. Welcome, everybody, to The Alec Lay Show. I'm happy and honored, as always, to be here with you guys. Thank you for stopping by. It is the first broadcast of 2024. Welcome back to so many of you uh, who watched and supported the show in 2023. I launched a podcast here, this live show on Rumble, over the summer in 2023, and I could not be happier uh, with the success all made possible by you, the listener, you, the watcher out there. Uh, so for those of you who are watching right now live on Rumble, please get down there and hit the share button. If you're not following the podcast or are not following the channel here on Rumble, please hit that follow button, hit the like button, leave a comment down there, get involved in the live chat. Those of you listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please uh, follow me over there and help spread the word with anybody in your contact list. Again, uh, I owe so much to all of you listeners out there, you guys. Your support has been great all throughout uh, since the summer of 2023 till now. If you are new to the show and, and you missed any of the previous interviews that I've done on this podcast, I have been blessed to have so many great patriots, so many great guests join me here. Go through the archives on the channel here. Just scroll through. You'll see so many of the amazing guests uh, that I've been blessed with to interview right here on the podcast. Today is no different. We're going to kick off 2024. I got two guests joining me today. Uh, one, as I mentioned, both of them at the top, the Q Shaman is what they dubbed this guy as. They made him really the face of January 6th, Jacob Chansley. He is now currently running for Congress in Arizona. Also today joining me is Congresswoman Kat Kamak. So we're going to have one a congressional candidate and one member of Congress on the podcast today. Blessed as always. So make sure you get involved in the live chat if you have any questions down there for either one of those. Now, obviously here we're in 2024, which I think is going to be a dynamic year. I think we are going to see some crazy, I mean, I guess every year we could say this, but I mean, I think today, I mean, I think this year, I mean, we know we have the presidential election coming up. It's a summer Olympic year. It's a leap year. It just seems like it's going, we're just, the stage is set for something monumental to happen this year. Will this be the year that we reelect Donald Trump and get him back into the White House like we so desperately need in this country right now? Uh, will the will the slim majority in the House actually get anything accomplished, anything of note in 2024? Uh, are we going to continue? How many more illegal aliens are we going to allow? Are we going to allow into this country before we shut the border down? Uh, the Biden inflation, how much more is it going to continue to crush American families? So there's a lot of things coming up here. Uh, you know, how many children are going to have their uh, uh, genitals cut off or how many children are going to be chemically castrated in 2024 if nothing is done to stop the barbarianism going on in this country right now as it pertains to little kids? Uh, will parental rights continue to be stripped away from parents in this country? A lot of questions to be answered in 2024. Uh, hopefully... 
right now, obviously, we have the Iowa caucuses where we're, you know, battening down the hatches here as we get closer and closer to what is going to be just a fireworks of an election in November. Obviously, Trump is going to run away with the primary here for the Republican Party. Uh, You know, this is all, in my opinion, just a formality of going through the motions of going through this Iowa caucus, the New Hampshire, the whole bit until we finally just put uh, Donald Trump at the head of the line. Now, how bad are they going to try to derail Donald Trump? They're trying to take his name off the ballot. You know, this is a guy they attacked. And for three years, they told you that he did not win the election, that Russia helped him. He colluded with Russia. He, 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 in a sense, rigged the election. So they told you for three years they were in election denial, telling you that Donald Trump didn't even win the election. Uh, And so here they are now. Isn't it interesting that, you know, Donald Trump is saying that he had the election stolen from him and they want to crucify him over it. They have arrested this guy, 91 charges, felony charges. They're doing everything possible. They're throwing everything at Donald Trump at the kitchen sink to knock this guy off of the ballot and not even get him to the starting line. Uh, Trump just is a warrior. He continues fighting the good fight. And I pray to God that we will see him back in the White House this time next year. So we're almost about 365 days away uh, from the next inauguration. So uh, prayers for that to happen. Now, obviously, over the weekend, the big story was January 6th. President Biden spoke heavily about this. He had one of those, you know, one of those fake you know, anger things that he put on about January 6th. And then obviously he had to be led off of the stage by Dr. Jill Biden, who's not a doctor, his wife. She had to take him by the hand and lead him off of stage because he had no idea where he even was. I put the picture right here, the video of it next to me. Uh, Just the dog and pony show that continues. This is the guy, by the way, that has the nuclear codes for the country, has to be led by hand off the stage because he can never find the exit. He doesn't know where he's going. All right. This is this is the guy that's in charge of the uh, of the the biggest military in the in the world. So scary stuff there. But January 6th, this is the, the the Democrats. This is their time to shine. They love to compare this thing to 9-11, to Pearl Harbor. This was a moment that the people tried to overthrow democracy. It was an insurrection. It was nothing of that sort. And, and you know, they always conveniently leave out, you know, the amount of patriotism that was displayed that day. Uh, which was ruined by, you know, obviously inside instigators that were there. You even saw so many of the January 6th people that were there tackling the guys that were breaking the windows, telling them to stop. I mean, you never hear the left praise those guys that were trying to stop the people from actually doing the damage to the Capitol. But so much of January 6th, listen, the Democrats got their footage and you knew they were going to use it for the next four years. We're three years into this. They've been using it every year. This was their golden moment. They got exactly what they wanted. People dressed in Trump uh, gear, causing damage. Interesting, though, that there's never been any violence at any Trump rally, hundreds of rallies before, never been any violence at any Trump rallies ever since. Just this one particular day, all of a sudden, the MAGA crowd was a dangerous crowd. What a coincidence. And they got all the screenshots, they got all the video footage that they needed, and they've been using it, and as you would expect them to use it. Now, one of the faces of this uh, became the Q Shaman, uh, they, they painted Jacob Chansley to be a lunatic, uh, an insurrectionist. They painted this guy to be really the face of what they call an insurrection. And, let, and let's set the record straight here, too. President Donald Trump, you know, he didn't orchestrate any kind of insurrection. President Donald Trump was trying to, which who, who he believes that the election was stolen from him. That's what he believes. He was trying to pursue every single possible angle to get this thing looked at and at least 
overturned into the right way. Let's take a look at the corruption, the fraud that went on. He was using every possible legal aspect that he had to look into this. And the same people that spent three years telling you that Donald Trump didn't belong in the White House because his uh, victory was illegitimate, they have a big problem with the fact that Trump is calling them out for this. He was only two months into challenging it. They spent three years telling you he didn't win. So Donald Trump, he told his supporters, uh, we are going to go down. You're going to march down there peacefully and patriotically. This clip here bothers so many of the people on the left. I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. And then they say, oh, well, what about when he said, oh, uh, go fight. You have to fight for your, what you believe in or you, you have to fight to take back the country. They, they make it sound like as if by saying that he called for an insurrection. He called for them to go down there, storm the Capitol and, and, and start shooting people, which, by the way, didn't happen. You had hundreds of thousands, if not a million people in Washington, D.C. on that day. Not one person. Now, this is the most gun loving people on the planet. And not one of them fired a shot. The only shot fired on January 6th killed an unarmed patriot, unarmed veteran, which is Ashley Babbitt. So again, the the face of this became Jacob Chansley. I want to bring him on today to give him an opportunity. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about January 6th. I think maybe everyone got their fill of the January 6th anniversary. We saw it play out all weekend. If you had a chance to watch that January 6th debate, I highly recommend it. Uh, with Alex Jones obviously leading the way against a couple of left-wing cream puffs there. Uh, you also had Glenn Greenwald on, on his side and Don uh, Darren Beatty. It was a really good January 6th debate, worth your watch, I think. And, I, of course, I don't think anybody, any of the three guys from the left did anything in the, anything at all to move the needle in the favor of their direction to say that this thing was an actual insurrection. You have a bunch of people, hundreds of thousands of gun-loving Americans that were going to take over the country. They decided not to fire a single shot, and they all left voluntarily. They all just turned around and went home. But, but they, So who stopped them? Who stopped these people from overthrowing the government, right? Alex Jones, by the way, is on camera trying to persuade, using his influence to per- try to persuade people to stay away from the Capitol. So anyway, we know they have this against Trump. They're going to use it. Uh, Jacob Chansley is one of these guys now. who He became the, the face of this entire thing. Now he's running for Congress. He was imprisoned for this, one of the January 6th prisoners. And one of the interesting things is once the tapes were shown that Jacob Chansley, I'll play some of them here, that he was actually led around Congress. He had like a police escort from Capitol Police that led him into all aspects of the Capitol and kind of showed him around. They kind of led him around the Capitol as if Jill, like Joe Biden leads Joe Biden around the White House. They, they gave this guy a guided tour. Nowhere was he violent. Nowhere did he pose a threat. All he did was go there to protest and make his voice heard peacefully and patriotically. That's what he did. And so now he has thrown his hat into the political arena. So I'm going to bring him on here right now. You can go to his website. I'm going to put the link to his campaign in Arizona for Congress down there in the description below. Right after he is, right after I'm done with Jacob, I'm going to have Congresswoman Kat Kamak joining me here. We know right now that the spending bill that they're talking about shoving through here does not include shutting down the border, which is the main thing. I want to talk to Kat Kamak about that and so much more. So please stay tuned for that. Uh, Get down there, hit the like button, get involved in the live chat, and let's do this. Let's bring on Jacob Chansley, better known as the Q Shaman. Got him in the Zoom room, and let's do it. Joining me now, Jacob Chansley. Welcome to the Alec Lay Show. 
Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. I know, obviously, the top story all weekend long was January 6th. Uh, President Biden uh, spoke about this and made it seem as if this was the biggest, you know, biggest attack on America in history. They always could constantly compare this to 9-11 and also uh, Pearl Harbor, which is, you know, kind of crazy. But this, listen, they have their footage. This is their big thing. So you expect them to press on it. I just kind of wanted to get your take here. uh, What January 6th, what that means to you. And, um, you know, what were you how did you feel about this whole thing that you when you heard the president talking about it? Well, I didn't listen to him to start. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't really know all that he said, but this notion that somehow January 6th is compared to 9-11 or Pearl Harbor is absolutely ludicrous. Those were very real, terrible attacks that were on American citizens or on the American people, on our system as a whole. Um, It seems to me January 6th was a setup. And what happened afterward was a PSYOP. It was the use of the setup, the deep state setup, to push the PSYOP that was designed to empower the uniparty in Washington and to create a chilling effect for anyone and everyone that stood against the communist rollout here in the United States. Yeah, and Jacob, it honestly, to me, it seems like the entire thing is a setup, starting with uh, the the COVID, va- uh, not COVID vaccine, but COVID itself being released onto the public. It seemed like the timing of that. Here we had President Donald Trump. He's firing on all cylinders. He's got the economy rocking. He's got he's got everything. He's got peace in the Middle East. He's got everything that we you know. He's working on the border wall. He, we, we're in the right direction. People are working. P- people's bank accounts are re- in the plus. And then all of a sudden, he looks like he's going to go into a slam dunk reelection. And then. All of a sudden, this worldwide pandemic breaks out. They shut everything down. The economy tanks. Unemployment skyrockets. Everything goes to hell. And then they usher in mail-in ballots. The whole thing seemed like a setup leading up to this. Not just January 6th itself, which I think is a setup. But it seems like Trump was set up the entire time. Oh, I totally agree. And if you look at the connection that Fauci has to Wuhan, if you look at the connection uh to uh, gain a function research, how it is that China had people like uh, uh, Lieber over in Harvard working on stuff like this for years. Um, People like Swalwell um, and Feinstein and how, you know, Swalwell sleeping with a Chinese spy. Feinstein had a, a Chinese spy as her driver for 20 years that the FBI knew about. Um, yeah, the whole thing stinks to high heaven of malfeasance, of a setup, of corruption. And um, even the jabs themselves, the COVID jabs themselves. I, I mean, the whole thing is a bio attack. It is a bio weapon. Uh, COVID-1984, as I like to call it, is a bio weapon. And the press and the way the Mockingbird media covered that up And also, like, think about this. When Trump cut off all travel from China, the press was coming out and saying that it wasn't that big of a deal, that it was COVID, it really wasn't all that much to worry about, that this is racist and all this other stuff. And then lo and behold, when it served their political agenda, they started pushing that COVID was this deadly, deadly pandemic. So 
to me, yeah, I agree with you. The whole thing is a setup, it, very much so. And it was because the American people, and through Trump and, and his administration, had finally gained foothold in the in the swamp, you know, and, and they needed something to stop that from uh, reoccurring. And to your point, we remember the clip of Nancy Pelosi being down in, in we're here in Chinatown. It's OK. Uh, come on down to Chinatown. Right. It was all just just the way you're saying there. And also, too, you know, they had just come off of three years of their own election denial, saying that Trump won because he colluded with Russia. Three years they were in election denial. But yet today they call you an election denier. It's like the worst thing you could be called when they did it for three years. They failed on that. They tried to impeach him on the uh, on the call with Zelensky. They failed on that. And then they went to this. My fear, Jacob, is that just like they had this stuff kind of planned out in the box, like, OK, we're going to run this Russia thing for, for as long as we can. Then we're going to try this. Then we're going to roll out this pandemic. Then we're going to roll out this vaccine. Then we're going to roll out ma- ma- and ballots. It seems like they're always way ahead of us, like uh, of the American people. I mean, by us, it's like it seems like I'm afraid of right now because 2024, I think, is going to be, you know, probably one of the one of the most memorable years or or in history, because I think there's going to be a lot of stuff going down as this year rolls out. But I'm afraid that they've already got things planned out for how this is going to roll out and what they're going to do to counter anything that doesn't go their way. And that seems to be the way that they've been rolling. Yes, they are thinking decades and centuries ahead. And I've said this in numerous interviews. I've said it on Spaces, on X and Twitter. Um, The only way we're going to win is if we start thinking decades and centuries ahead. We have to have our own plan for how it is that we are going to create independence and how we're going to render this corrupt system obsolete. And most people... Most people aren't thinking, but not even a couple of months, maybe at the most a year ahead. And that's why in, you know, being a member that uh, somebody that's running for Congress, my plan is one that is going to have decades and centuries long ramifications. That's the kind of planning that we must have in order to counter or uh, neutralize their plans. And it seems like it's small minded thinking, definitely. And especially on the right, where it seems like all the right does is react to what the Democrats do. The Democrats set the tone. They set the bar. They play offense. And all we see from the Republicans is reaction. We're reacting to stuff now that happened three years ago. We're trying to trying to set the record straight on things that happened in the past while they're three years ahead of where we are now. And all we're going to do is continue to catch up, catch up. And we never seem to even get into the game. That is correct. And that is by design, because when you're reacting to something, then you're on the defense, you see. And one of the things that's important to note about independent journalists, conservative commentators and uh, conservative influencers is that they're always bouncing their talking points and their ideas off of the Mockingbird media. What's already out there. They're not setting their own narrative. They're not setting their own tone. Now, the Mockingbird media, and this is on the right and on the left, Fox, Newsmax, uh, you know, these these uh, institutions, they are always, always in lockstep. Now, they might have two dueling sides within the Mockingbird media platform, but regardless, they're usually talking about the same thing. And 
the talking points are then handed to the American people of what it is that they can say to each other, how they can disagree with one another, and it never gets anybody anywhere. Meantime, the deep state is getting deeper and deeper. The roots are getting deeper and deeper. The 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 uh, the tyranny is getting more and more intense. And so that's why for me, man, I mean, I'm a libertarian. I think that really it's a uniparty in D.C. This Republican-Democrat thing is just an illusion. And if we really want to make progress, then the conservative influencers and the independent journalists that are out there, they themselves have to come up with their own narrative. And we all have to get in lockstep and move the ball down the field because then the Mockingbird media has to react to us. And as long as as long as we're at each other's throats and we're blaming one another, they succeed. So it's like we you know, we always hear these talks of civil war. And you would think like the deep state would want nothing more than to see civil war as long as they don't see revolution. They, they want civil war. They don't want to see some kind of revolution. And I think that's that, that would be perfect for them. And it's working out just as designed because we live in two different realities on the right and left. We live in two different worlds out here. There's people that are walking around. We're in our own delusions. We all believe what you know, we're all being propagandized. Oh, from the moment we wake up to the time we go to bed, it's propaganda city. That's what we get. And we get it now through direct access in our phone. Everyone's on this thing 24 hours a day. They got free reign to your brain 24 hours a day. And it's propaganda no matter what side of the aisle you're on. That is 100% the case. And it is psychological warfare. It is. And it's done through the use of information, which is true disinformation, which is false, being combined together to create a misinformation narrative that the deep state mockingbird media controls. And then from there, you have these dueling factions of warring tribes that are compartmentalized based on different propaganda. And that different propaganda is designed to be divisive and keep us fighting one another as, you know, the deep state rollout, you know, continues as planned. So my thinking is, is that we have to get away from all that. We have to realize that we have to think decades and centuries ahead. Then we have to develop a strategy to ensure that that plan ends up rolling out. That's, like I said, why I'm running for Congress. Are you familiar with my campaign platform? Well, let's get into it. I know that you have the policies. I wanted to break down some of the policies you have. Let's start with the single bill voting. I know that's one of them that you got on there. Now, to me, this is a no brainer here that should be done. Speak on it if you could. Yes. So single bill voting is very important. Number one, because the 2000 to 3000, sometimes 5000 page bills that are being passed into law are riddled with all sorts of special interest spending, NGO contracts, all sorts of stuff. Like the current and, spending bill. Yeah, exactly. Now, if you look at it, you have these these Congress members have what two one day, 48 hours or so two two days to read 5,000, 3,000 pages. Give me a break. OK, and if we realize that single bill voting can actually stop that process from unfolding and it can also force anyone and everyone in the Congress to kind of show their true colors. Let's say, for example, some uh, when we pass a single bill voting law, then we propose a bill on the floor that says it's single bill. We want funding for the border. We want to close the border. Right. Anybody that votes against that, we see where they're at on that issue alone. 100%. They don't have the excuse of, well, it has this other stuff in it that I don't like. 
Now think about this. Imagine there's a bill that is a single bill goes on the House floor or in the Senate that say, uh, we want to uh, give a bunch of money to special interest, this special interest group. Then when they vote yes on it, we see who is being funded by that special interest group. So that actually kind of uh, makes the corruption transparent. It's almost like how NASCAR drivers wear their corporate sponsors on their on their you know suits. Now our Congress members are going to have to wear their corporate sponsors on their lapels. And so that's that's just a couple of aspects to it. Now, think about the long term ramifications of a single bill voting law. So the second aspect to my campaign platform is an amendment for term limits for Congress members and staff. Because in many cases, this is the staff that are writing the three to 5,000 page bills, right? In many cases, the staff actually are also getting paid more than the Congress members. The staff are the ones- And Jacob, I do, think, I, I do think that's what most people miss when we talk about term limits is the staff itself. We always focus on the congressman and, that, and just that portion of it, but the staff seems to be the key to all of that. Correct. So getting a term limit for congressmen and staff is essential because in many cases, what will happen is if it's just congressmen, then they'll just become a staff. <laughs> they'll just become a staff <laughs> member, you know? So we have to understand what the systemic issues are and how that's going to have an effect long-term. So you introduce a single bill voting law. Let's just say for the sake of argument that it passes, then everything after that has to be single issue voting, right? So then term limits for congressmen and staff, the Republicans, the Democrats, they've talked about term limits this whole, you know, for years. Now you actually have the opportunity through a single bill to say, OK, yeah, I agree. We need term limits. Right. For Congress and staff. And next is criminalization of lobbying. That's the next as aspect of my platform. So think about that. If somebody votes against criminalization of lobbying, then whose pockets are they likely in? The lobbyists. Right. And. The thing is, once again, Republican and Democrat for a long time, they've said, oh, lobbying is the issue. Lobbying is the issue. It's the way of like obfuscating the uh, vitriol and the anger that is being leveled at them. They're trying to say, well, no, it's the lobbyists. Say, OK, well, then vote for this criminalization of lobbying. And then finally, the last aspect to my campaign platform is seven figure fines, expulsion and prosecution for all Congress members caught insider trading. So if they vote no on that, what are they likely doing? Insider trading, you see, and they can't have the excuse of, oh, there's all this other stuff in the bill that I don't like. No, it's a single issue, bro. And, 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 you know, to your point, Jacob, I think we're so and they, they, this is why I don't think they'll ever let it happen is because they both sides use this. So, like, for instance, let's just say there's something in the bill for veterans and also something for sex changes in the bill. So the Republicans vote against it. The Democrats, the headline is Republicans don't approve funding for veterans. And that's the headline. Like, so they both sides use this to their advantage. And we always see these bills. And it's like and just like you said, I think this is this is common sense, simple stuff. Single bill. Let's see where you stand. That's it. If we can see the where you vote on just this one piece, then we know what you're all about. And then we can decide whether we should primary your ass or not. And so I think that would open a lot of people's eyes. I love the term limits because I think staff is the key to getting that done. The insider trading is another no brainer 
no-brainer. We How many times do we see these people? They come in. They say they're going to represent you. They're going to represent you. They make a mediocre salary. They get in there. All of a sudden, they, they're they multi-millionaires, and they've done nothing for you and leave you behind. And then, of course, the lobbying. Everybody is a puppet in there that's tied to their handler. Whoever they owe the money to or they owe their position to, that's who they're going to do their bidding for. So I think all four of your points are slam dunks. And I think every candidate that's running should have the same stance on all of those. If you're against any of those, you're part of the problem. Precisely. Now, what's really interesting about this is that when I did my interview on Newsmax, I believe it was November 13th, uh, about my campaign platform and what it is that I'm running on. Um, shortly thereafter, Matt Gates and Representative Kana out of California started talking about three of the four things in my campaign platform. Matt Gates proposed an anti-corruption plan that was about term limits, getting rid of lobbying, and getting rid of insider trading. All together, by the way. <laughs> and same thing with Representative Kana out of California. So, and Kana's a Democrat. Matt Gates is a Republican. So these people heard what it is that I said. They also heard when I said Congress isn't doing their jobs. They're not representing the American people. And they decided, well, uh, we, we'll, we'll put it on the House floor. But here's the funny thing, man. When it comes to single bill issues, the, there's nothing stopping people in Congress from writing a single bill, uh, you know, law. I mean, from writing a single bill, a uh, single issue voting, a uh, single issue bill and voting on. There's nothing stopping them. They could do it right now for the border. The Republicans could easily create a 20-page, 30-page bill that says this is for the border. But they don't do that. Why? Why not? You know? And it's because it's all political theater. And, you know, when we talk about thinking decades and centuries ahead, a lot of people don't really understand the profound impact of the degradation of our education institutions. Um, they also don't really understand how it is that the um, the defamation laws and the slander laws and stuff like that have allowed the media to just say whatever the hell they want. We've got the Smith Modernization Act that allows the government to propagandize the American people. We've got the Patriot Act that allows the government to literally obfuscate your constitutional rights and lock you up if they decide you're a domestic terrorist. And we're seeing how they're painting a bunch of Trump supporters with that label, right? So there's some very real issues that we have to look at in the long-term ramifications of these issues. And I, I also have the proposition that, look, there's five to 6,000 disruptive patents that have been classified by this government, patents that could set all of us free, that would basically dissolve the monopolies that international corporations have over our economy. And they have not been released to the public. Three of them have. Donald Trump released them. Why he's not talking about them, I don't know. Are you familiar with these patents? I'm not. So check it out, dude. This is huge. In 2020, a man named Salvador Pius filed three patents with the patent office and Donald uh, with the Navy, and Donald Trump declassified them. They are a zero-point energy engine. That means infinite, free, clean energy. Number two, a room temperature superconductor that allows the zero-point energy engine to function without overheating. And then number three, it's called a TR3B. It's a triangular-shaped 
anti-gravity or inertia propulsion craft that doesn't just allow this thing to fly through the air at like lightning speed going from LA to DC in the snap of a finger, but also it's a submersible. It can go below the water. It can go like all the way down to the bottom of the ocean. No problem. We can also fly out into outer space so we can start doing things like mining asteroids or colonizing Mars or the moon. So these things are real. And these are actually the future of our civilization because the amount of pollution that is out there because of the corporations, these less than 1% are globalists own, they're actually the ones that are destroying the environment, making it to where we can't grow food because the chemicals that they're producing destroy the microbiological life and the water, the soil and the air. So if we allow them to just continue to do their thing, and I'm not talking about global warming or the climate crisis, it's all bullshit, okay? What I'm talking about is anthropogenic chemicals, forever chemicals that do not biodegrade for thousands, if not tens of thousands of years. And these corporations are producing them in such volume that our children will not have food. They won't have clean water. They won't have clean air. But the the... Zero point energy engine solves all that. So does Tesla uh, and Tesla tower technology. The uh, Nikola Tesla's infinite free clean wireless energy towers. These things solve these problems. But this is just a small taste. It's the tip of the iceberg of the five to six thousand disruptive patents that if released to the public would create independence, abundance and freedom for all. Yeah, well said, Jacob. I'm not familiar with a lot of that. I know that a lot of the things we're using today, technology-wise, all come from Tesla and all of his patents that were used over and over again. But there is, there's no doubt that I that I believe that there is a lot of things that there that we could have access to that would greatly improve our life and our experience. But we are being withheld from that. I I agree with that. I believe that that is true. But one thing here, here's the frustrating part about all this stuff, Jacob, is like I would uh, we would let's say uh, you you move forward with this process, you get elected to Congress, right? And now you're in. Congress and then the thing comes across. Do you want a single uh, single bill only? And you vote now you vote no against it. That's what we're facing with congressmen that we're sending to Congress right now. They tell us these things that they're going to do and then they get in there and then the vote comes and they vote the other way. And then they have some. That's what I'm saying will be an example of like how disappointed we would feel if we send you to Congress and then you get in there. And they say, hey, uh, vote for here's the chance. Vote for. And you say, no, I'm going to vote against it. We're all like, what? What happened here? Now we got to try to primary you. and go. To the, it seems like that's what happens over and over again. Every time we get hyped up about a, a congressman, we send there and then all of a sudden they go again. Against everything they said when they were campaigning. Even look at this Speaker Johnson. Everyone was kind of like, okay, good, we got Speaker Johnson in there. Oh, I'm going to release the January 6th tapes. He gives us a little twinkle of the January 6th tapes, then says we're going to get the rest by the end of the year. The end of the year comes and gone. Where's the tapes? And now the spending bill. We're going to do, we're going to shut the government down unless they close the border. We're not shutting the government down and we're not closing the border, but we're going to do the spending bill. So we're like, what the hell is going on? And that's the frustration I think most Americans feel about their representatives in Washington. Well, I agree. And and the thing is, dude, because I, too, feel that pain and that frustration, I would never do that. And I would not allow some other congressman to write the bill. I'm going to be the one that's going to be writing that bill. And then guess what? I'm going to vote for my own bill. And this is the kind of incentive or the kind of uh, intense um, uh, initiative that we need to see in congressmen. And we're not seeing So my thing is, is that everything I've proposed to you guys are things that I'm going to do. 
that what I'm going to do, and then I'm going to vote yes on this. And then you guys, the American people, are going to get to see who votes against these things that everybody wants. And I think that if it's done properly, if it's done strategically, then these things will pass because the backlash that will come from not voting for these things will be far too great. And the exposure of... Oh, you're against you're against a, a bill banning lobbying. Well, then uh, it sounds like you're owned by the lobbyists. It, it would expose them. It would expose them. And that's the one thing that they really do not want is exposure. They have a certain level. Now, while they are public figureheads, there's a certain level of anonymity that comes to their votes and how it is they're choosing to vote because the Mockingbird media doesn't report on it. Most conservative or um, uh, right side, right leaning journalists aren't reporting on these people's voting records. And even if and when they do, most people aren't understanding the depth of corruption that's there when they vote no or yes on certain things. So this is going to take a, a lot of planning. It's going to take far reaching uh, visions of the future and what it is that certain things uh, will change if they are done here and now. And that's I'm I'm the only Congress uh, uh, can congressional candidate that's actually proposing things that's going to disassemble the corrupt machine. I'm the only con uh, congressional candidate that is actually talking about a vision of the future that will benefit everyone, with the exception of the less than one percenters that seek to monopolize our resources, labor, and currency. And give me the breakdown here, Jacob. Now, obviously, you, you threw your hat in the ring. You're running for Congress now. What what is the what is the steps here? When are the primaries? Uh, who are you running against? Who's the opponents? Or what, what? Break it down for me here. What, what, what's coming up? Well, the primary is in August, and the general election is in November. I'm running as a Libertarian. I'm not running as a Republican. So, at the current moment, I don't have anybody running against me in the primary. Uh, when it comes to the people running in the Republican primary, we've got. Abe Hamaday, we've got Blake Masters, we've got Anthony Kern, we've got Speaker Toma here in Arizona. Uh, those are just a few of the big names that are running on the Republican ticket. The Democrat, I don't even really know who it is. The Democrat really doesn't stand a chance. Uh, Debbie Lesko chose to retire, and she's gotten like 90% of the vote every time she's run. So um, when it comes right down to it, man, the establishment has picked these people, whether it be through money getting to them or certain people getting endorsed or whatever. And I, I am tired of watching the Republicans do because I've from behind the scenes, as I've watched running for Congress, I've seen the Republicans are doing everything that they accuse the Democrats of doing. And the Democrats are doing everything they accuse the Republicans of doing. It is a uniparty. It is corrupt. This is playing the game as far as they're concerned. And they think that it's the only way they're going to get elected. And I refuse to play that game. The two-party system has divided this country and taken everything from the American people in the process. And the only thing that we have gotten for our division and having, you know, everything taken from us is more taxes, more poverty, more wars, more pollution, crisis after crisis after crisis, and less freedoms. And Gandhi once said, if you cooperate with an evil system, you contribute to its evil. And I refuse to contribute to this evil system.
Yeah, good stuff, Jacob. And I know that the media has branded you as the Q shaman. You, you, they've tried to paint you in a negative light, and you haven't run away from from any of this stuff. You, you, your campaign. I know you see you have your picture on there. You're not running away from any of this stuff. You've dug your heels in. You are. And now, has this been an issue for you to kind of break through that your media propaganda of you being the the face of January six, you being an insurrectionist? Uh, you, you know, you know, that's what they've kind of branded you as. And how have you been able to kind of turn the page? And where could people go? So so they could find out who exactly you are and what you're all about. Well, if anything, you see, a lot of the reason why people ask for donations in political campaigns is because they want to get their name and their face out there. So if anything, the media doing what they did, just put my name and face out there. A lot of people know me. So you can always kind of like judo move this stuff and use that momentum against those that seek to harm you. So that's kind of what I've done there. If you want, you can go to my website, shamanforcongress.com. That's shamanforcongress.com. And you can see my policies and why it is that I'm suggesting the things I'm suggesting. You can also watch my interviews and see who it is that I really am. Not what the media told people I am, but who it is that I really am. Um, you can also see like some like resources and stuff that if you want to just throw it up on X or Twitter or something, it's totally free. You can download that stuff. Um, also you can go to my website, forbidden truth That's forbidden truth where there's literally dozens of hours at this point of podcasts, interviews, free courses that you can take. You know, people can also read my book, One Mind at a Time, A Deep State of Illusion by Jacob Angeli that's also on my website. Um, there's <clears throat> the amount of information that I'm bringing to the people is unparalleled. There is no one else that is either running for Congress or currently in Congress that is bringing the American people the amount of information and the uh, the kind of plans that for the future that I'm bringing. And in that sense, I'm raising the bar, dude. I'm changing the game. This is where the bar is set. If you're not at this level, then you need to STFU and GTFO. Great stuff. Listen, you're definitely a unique candidate. I don't think there's anybody else right now this year running for Congress that's quite uh, similar to you. And again, I like the fact that you took what the media has done and you pivoted it and used it for your own benefit. I think that is brilliant. I'm going to put the links that you mentioned right down there in the description below, as long as as well as your social media handles. Uh, Jacob Chansley, uh, I really appreciate you giving me a few minutes of your time today. Best of luck to you this year. And thanks for giving me a few minutes of your time in the Alec Lace Show. Thank you. God bless you, man. All right. I appreciate Jacob Chansley giving me a few minutes of his time here. If you want to find out more about his campaign, the link is down there in the description of the podcast below. Listen, the media has painted this guy as a whack job. Uh, when you get a chance to talk to him, you can see he's very knowledgeable about so many of the issues. And I truly believe uh, that Jacob is a guy that loves America and wants to say, I, I think everything that he said is hard to disagree with his four points, his four policy points there. I don't know how you really argue against them. I'd love to hear the arguments that you have against any one of those four things. I think they're pretty much common sense. I think most listeners would agree. And I would love to hear the, 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 the argument against any one of those. So if you have one, put it down there in the comments and let's have a discussion about it because I'd be curious about it. All right, so right now we're going to swing this over to a actual member of Congress right now, uh, Congresswoman Kat Kamak down in Florida. I've been trying to schedule an interview with her for so long. I'm very grateful to her, um, uh, her whole team that has been able to set this interview up. We've been working on this almost really since I started the show. I've wanted to have her on. 
on the podcast here to talk about it. So I'm going to bring her on in just a minute. I wanted to share this from you. I usually share these with you guys when I'm on the bottom line. I've been making weekly appearances on the bottom line on Fox Business. And so Friday I was on the show and I thought that topics were very interesting. Uh, The first one uh, being that all of a sudden the Democrats got amnesia and are in complete denial. Uh, Karine Jean-Pierre saying that, oh, we don't get involved in mask mandates. We don't tell anybody what to do, uh, you know, with their lives, with the masks. That's uh, that's not something we get involved in. Complete lies coming from the White House press secretary, as always. We know how the Biden administration was uh, during the time of COVID, especially with the masks. We commented on that. The other story was that they're doing a Hunter Biden documentary to try to somehow explain this guy's life through a positive lens when we've all seen what's going on with this guy with the the Biden laptop, another thing that they try to keep from everybody. And the last story was about these sippy cups, these uh, uh, Stanley Cup sippy cups from Starbucks that has just gone taken on a, a, a whole world of its own. So those were the three topics I talked about on Friday. Here's the highlights. That, yeah. We know that now. Yeah, I know. And one of the things, too, is Biden even asked about this, talked about this before he became president. In December, leading into it, he said, first thing I'm going to do on day one. In his basement. Yeah, yeah, from the basement. He said, I'm going to mandate the masks on planes and trains and automobiles. Another thing he did, another cutie he pulled was, once they got to the point, they said, oh, if you get vaccinated, then you can take your mask off. Right. They use that as a ploy to try to drive more people in to get masks. But you couldn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone, where are they going to stream this documentary on? Pornhub? Is that where they're going to put it? Right? <laughs> we all know what a disgrace this guy is. And so, uh, it's like one of the things, too, with the laptop, it's been out there, 50 intelligence. This guy gets away with everything because of his last name. Talk about privilege. Biden, a last name, by the way, he did everything he could do possible to make sure his daughter could not have. That's the kind of guy we're talking about here. That's right. Yeah. I, I heard more about this over Christmas than anything else. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Now, during the Biden administration, now we've had a baby food, food shortage, and now we've had a sippy cup shortage here, right? So <laughs> my advice to these people is get down to Canal Street, get the saw buck knockoff down there, and what are we doing here? This is ridiculous. So, yeah, people People are fighting. You seen the one guy dive over the counter at Starbucks? It looked oh like that that one in the uh, the one that jumped over the thing for the judge. Like it was very similar. Only he did it for a sippy cup. So people are added in mind. Great marketing ploy. Good thing they didn't do it during Pride Month because then they'd slap that flag on there. We'd see the boycott city. Boycott city. But it's interesting <laughs> that these. Did you end up getting one of these sippy cups for somebody in your family for Christmas? Is it something that uh, was important? I, I, I don't. I still don't understand. And it goes to show. Just how good marketing can be. Now, Starbucks just got over being having a boycott go on over the whole Palestine-Israel war. And it looks like they were able to climb out of that now. There's, the, the stock's going back up. The interest has risen uh, all for this uh, this sippy cup that they have going on. So uh, let me know if you, ha- you or anybody you know is crazy about these things. Comment down below. Uh, so I just wanted to hit you with those three stories. I will be back on the bottom line this week on Friday. So I'll talk more about that on Thursday's broadcast. But for right now... Uh, let's do this here. We will bring on Congresswoman Kat Kamak. Honored to have her on the podcast. Got her in the Zoom room. Let's bring her in. Okay. Uh, joining me now, Congresswoman Kat Kamak. Welcome to the Alec Lay Show. Hey, so good to be with you. Thanks so much. Well, it's a pleasure to have you here. Uh, obviously, you made the rounds yesterday on Twitter, uh, X as they call it. Uh, Harrison Faulkner was actually shocked when you told her the news and paraphrasing, saying that Mayorkas said, well, if you impeach me, you ain't going to like who's coming next. And so uh, I don't think any of us are under any delusion that if we got rid of Mayorkas, we would get some knight in shining armor, some real border czar that would shut this whole thing down. But to say something like that, to try to say, oh, you don't want to do that, is almost like you said, is like a threat. Um, I-, I think, no, we're still going to go ahead and get you out of there. Yeah, it's crazy because. 
So I have actually, I've shared, I had shared that before, you know, that conversation and, you know, I don't know what it was about yesterday. Maybe it was Harris's face or, you know, she was just shocked that kind of grabbed everyone's attention. But that moment has really stuck with me um, because, you know, I've been to the border nine times. I've talked with the agents. Many of them, you know, have had meetings with Mayorkas themselves and had similar experiences. Um, we've seen where he is 100% two-faced about, about the situation. He'll tell you one thing uh, behind closed doors, but then publicly he goes out and says another. And so it was, it was one of those situations when it happened that I realized that there is no course correcting with this guy. He is going to march down this path, come hell or high water. And so the fact when he said, you won't like who comes next, it, it literally sent the hair on the back of my neck up. You know, it was it was kind of that chill down your spine. And I'm looking around the room at other members like, y'all heard that, right? Y'all heard that. And everyone was just kind of stunned. Um, it's just one of those things where it makes you wonder who is coming next, right? Like what what conversations have been had at the White House, what conversations have been had within the department as a whole. And it just speaks volumes about how little they think of the American people, how little they think of the people who put them in these positions, to be frank, because elections have consequences. But it should be concerning, regardless of your party affiliation, Republican, Democrat, Independent, it should be extraordinarily concerning that that was his position. And, and it's not a mistake either, Congresswoman, that the border is open. Like, this isn't like, oh, wow, just look at what's happening here. This is all like, I know you said it on Fox. Like, this is a design. This is a plan. They have this on purpose. These people are coming in here. The the amount of human trafficking that's taking place alone uh, is disgusting. The fentanyl that we know is coming through there. Just those two things alone are enough to just impeach Mayorkas, impeach Biden as well. But it seems like, uh, you, you know, I think Elon even posted it that, you know, the 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 illegal immigrants are outpacing the American Burts. Yeah. So it's like we're just being overrun here. And it's like everyone's kind of like shouting about this. And it seems like everything is slow walking this thing to do anything about it. It almost seems like, you know, I, I wish we could get everybody like these uh, pro Hamas protesters that block the freaking highways. I wish we could get an American's uh, wall to block a human wall to block the border down there, because it seems like that's what it's going to take to get this to happen. It's it's crazy that that we have people who are well, they're professional activists, right? Um, they're, they're paid to go out and do these ridiculous things like, you know, block tunnels and highways and all that. Um, I've had these pro Hamas protesters at my office. And when you engage with them, they don't know what the heck they are talking about. They, they have no foundational basis for the things that they're talking about or saying or cheering for. And they, they realize very quickly that they're way out of their depth. And so they, they have really no values or, or principles as far as, what they're actually standing for. You get someone who is, you know, trying to raise a family, has a nine to five, you know, they're just trying to survive in Joe Biden's America. And they see what's happening with the border. They see that we are now at that point, like Elon had had posted about, we have had more illegals cross the border in Joe Biden's tenure than there have been children born to American mothers. That's staggering. That is a staggering statistic. And you think of the pressures that this illegal immigration crisis, this invasion, has has put on all of our communities opioid epidemic that the left chooses they make a deliberate choice to ignore the and i call them poisonings because my husband being a first responder he responds to all of these types of situations you don't know what you're getting 
I have talked to mothers who have lost their kids who said they thought they were taking Adderall. They thought that they were taking a Xanax. They thought they were taking, um, you know, something completely different for one reason or another, and it ended up being fentanyl. And so then when you have 160 factories in mainland China producing the precursors, it's being processed and manufactured as a final product in Mexico and then smuggled across the Southwest border, poured into our communities where they use American gangs as subcontractors. This is big business. It's a billion dollars with a B every month that the cartels are making on the smuggling of humans and drugs into our country. And every single community in in America is a border town as a result of Joe Biden. But you think about in the 117th Congress. So go back a couple of years when Nancy Pelosi was Speaker of the House. The first 10 bills of a Congress are the, the priorities for that Congress. The number one bill that they had, H.R. 1, was for the People Act. Now, I rename all their bills because their bills have nothing to do with the title of their bills. So it was actually for the Politicians Act is what I called it. And what it did was it publicly financed politicians' campaigns using taxpayer dollars. It lowered the voting age to 16. It did away with photo ID for voting. And it stripped citizenship requirement for voting in elections. You pair that with the open border crisis, you start to wonder Why? Why would they want this? Why would they have legislation stripping the citizenship requirement and an open border? Well, let's think about what the dependency and control agenda is for the left. It's very simple. Grow the size of government, make people dependent on government programs so that they, the big government advocates, stay in control. It is, I think, a very, very simple agenda that people have complicated. But when you take a step back, you start to realize, huh, it all kind of does fall into place. Yeah, it's all about growing the government. The whole Department of Homeland Security was grown in 2002. We never I needed it before. I feel like we could almost do like that guy down in Argentina, Freya, like just cut <laughs> the whole thing. Like it's 250,000 government jobs that we just grew that we never needed before. Now we can't do without. Wow, what a coincidence. And we got this guy, Mayorkas, that's absolutely useless in there. But let's get to this here, uh, uh, Congresswoman. This $1.6 trillion spending bill. Uh, this mm-hmm. is a bill like Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer, saying it's a good deal for the Democrats. Uh, I, there's a lot of people on the street that are praying that that uh, that Republicans are not going to pass this thing through. What's your take on it? How would you vote on it? So I am not supporting this bill because it is, again, just another gimmick. And when you have Chuck Schumer saying this is a good deal, that should be your first sign <laughs> that it is, in fact, not a good deal. And you you can dig into all of the so-called cuts that are in this bill. But let's be honest, until we reform the way that Washington operates, you're never going to change anything. You can cut, you can cap, you can do all these things. We have so many fundamental flaws within the spending process, particularly with regulatory regime type stuff, where the bureaucrats, they make the laws, they enforce the laws. Congress really has no role in it because we've usurped our authority to them. So I, one, can't support something that doesn't go through a process that we all agree on. Two, we're Republicans. We're in charge of the House. They're now talking about in order to get this bill across the finish line, they have to suspend the rules and it will go to the House floor. When you suspend the rules on a bill, that means you need two thirds of the entire House to pass it. So guess what that means? If Chuck Schumer is saying this is a good deal and conservatives in the House are saying this is a bad deal, this bill will pass with majority of Democrat support in a Republican-led House. 
that speaks volumes of the dysfunction that is taking place here. And so if you have to suspend the rules because you know it won't survive the normal channels and the process in the house, that means it's a bad bill of this magnitude. You shouldn't be spending $1.6 trillion, billion, trillion, <laughs> trillion um, with, with a, a suspended rules package. You have got to go through the regular order. And that's what we fought for. Single issue bills, the 12 appropriations, time to read the bills, and that process that allows us all input. Under a suspension, you can't modify the bill. So just on the procedural side alone, every conservative should vote against this. Yeah, well said. And I'm glad to hear that you say that you're not supporting it because it's 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 frightening to think that there's House uh, GOP people that are going to support this thing. And it's a lot of them are going to end up being primary, I think, because of it. And I just think that now also too the procedural side of it. Yes. But the fact that it's where is the border stuff like let's get the exactly. border before we're giving this money to Ukraine, before we give the money to Israel. Let us close this border down. But we know the Democrats don't want it. Obviously, they're flooding this country every day, even as we speak and we tweet. There's thousands of people. People coming across the border and nothing is being done about it. And we, the American people, feel completely helpless. We feel like there's nothing we can do. And, and you know what? Just like you said before, people want to they, they're married. They're raising kids. They're taking them to school. They want to go to the sports games, take the family out to eat. We, we want to live our lives. And it's like, you know, until these illegal immigrants show up in your neighborhood and they're at the and they're flooding the restaurants and they're flooding the hotels. You don't really pay attention. You're like, oh, OK, well, we'll deal with that. It's going to get to this point, Congresswoman, where it's going to be so in your face. And everyone's going to say, how did this happen? It's because nobody paid attention while it was going on. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, it's so important that we all get involved and get engaged. And some people think that they've got to go out and, you know, hold a picket sign or, you know, it it is, it's actually more simple than that. And my goal is to really help people um, learn the system, right? Learn how government works because we get the government that we deserve not the government that we want. And if we're better citizens, we will be better uh, positioned to have a government that is actually accountable uh, to us, to we, the people. And so in my office, I have a sign. It's right behind the computer. You can't see it. Um, It says we, the people. And I take that to heart because it's not like we got here overnight. We, we collectively got busy with life you know, and, and now it's our job, it's our duty, our responsibility to take our country back. And we can do that by really maneuvering the system. And it only takes, like I I tell people all the time, it literally takes five minutes a day, a week, whatever. If you call your member of Congress and you say, Hey, I want you to vote against this $1.6 trillion deal. And my, my name is this, I live in this zip code and I want a response. People don't know, but that congressional office has to log that opinion. They have to respond to that constituent. And I will tell you that there is nothing, absolutely nothing that scares a career swamp creature more than a couple of hundred phone calls going into their office because all of a sudden they're thinking, oh my gosh, my reelection chances are going to be you know, dwindling because now people are paying attention to what I'm doing. Just that one phone call brings a little bit of sunlight into a situation and it puts these politicians on notice. And so if everyone just did that, and it literally takes less than five minutes to call your member of Congress, to call your two senators, if people did that, holy smokes, we would be in a totally different position. And so I encourage people, do do that very basic thing and you will see time and time again where those little things start to add up 
and we start transforming the way that Washington works. Yeah, really, it's so true, Congresswoman. And it's like you t- give, give up TikTok for two minutes and just make the call, you know, because exactly. and it's true. So many people kind of feel this way on Election Day, too. Oh, my vote doesn't count. What does it matter? And the same thing with the calls. Oh, what difference is it going to make? And so they don't do it. They don't even get involved on Election Day to to, to show up there to, to help, to be a uh, to volunteer. So we, we definitely need more people, especially Republicans, to get involved and get in the fight. Uh, and, and so it, it is frustrating. It's, it's so sad that we have to negotiate with our government to shut our own border down. Like what in the world has happened here? It's it's it, it's it's so frustrating. But I want to move just real quick now to this one next thing. Uh, Secretary of Defense Austin was a no call, yeah. no show for a week. Joe Biden had no idea that this was going on, which really isn't a surprise because he doesn't seem to have his, you know, his his uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on around him. Uh, Trump called, said hey, this guy should resign. This this these are the, the, the people leading us. This are this is our secretary of defense here nobody knew knows where the guy is what's your take on that unacceptable unacceptable on every level this man is sixth in line to commander in chief he is a member of the national security council the national security council can be called at any moment and we are literally in one of the most stressful uh times in in (laughs) in our nation's history where we are being Uh, attacked in multiple areas of the globe, our military installations, our men and women in uniform are facing assaults on a daily basis. And for him to be out of pocket, absolutely unacceptable. Now I go back to the 117th Congress, which was just two short years ago. And Biden had asked Congress to approve the waiver to allow Austin to become the defense secretary. I was one of the few that said, absolutely not. I had members of my own party who said, well, you know, I, I feel like we sh- if he wants him as defense secretary, you know, we ought to give it to him. And I'm thinking, well, one, it sets a very dangerous, bad precedent because then that person, that role becomes politicized. There's supposed to be a stretch of years in between a retirement into an appointment so that your political, uh, it's not a political role. So That was one of the reasons. But the second reason that I was a hard no was when I was at the Naval War College. One of the very first things we we studied as a case study was the failures of leadership. Austin was one of the case studies when he was the, the combatant commander of Central Command. That right there sent chills up my spine because I'm thinking this guy is not capable of leading in Central Command. Why would we give him DOD? And then, of course, we saw Afghanistan. He and I actually exchanged some words um, during that debacle. We now have 13 Gold Star families that never should have been Gold Star families. And it has been zero accountability. No, no heads have rolled as a result of what happened during that disastrous withdrawal. And here we are now, fast forward, and he's MIA. It's unacceptable. He should have resigned. One, he should have never been Secretary of Defense. Two, he should have resigned after Afghanistan. And here we are. He's MIA and still no answers. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, Congresswoman, it just seems like we're a year away from the next inauguration. And it almost mm-hmm. seems like I don't know if we can make it that long with the way that this is going on. All of it. It just seems like with everything going on in the Middle East, with everything going on with uh, Ukraine and Russia, with everything going on at the border, it just seems like we are set for a disaster in 2024. I pray we can make it to till we get uh, Trump into the White House. But uh, well, the last thing I want to switch this to is because it's something that's really important to me. And it's it's the parental rights that are just being destroyed in our country. And it's like this, in my opinion. 
opinion, the parents are the underdog in this country right now. Like I said before, the parents that are there that's just trying to raise their kids, do the right thing, go to work, work multiple yeah. jobs, pay the bills, spend family time. They're the ones that are getting crushed. They're getting crushed by Bidenomics. They're getting crushed by Bidenflation. And the parental rights are being stripped away from them. So it's like there's so much going against the parents right now that I really think they're going to be the ones that are going to turn the tide here in 2024 because they're getting sick of it, especially when you're saying, oh, we could tell your child in school he could go by a different name, use different pronouns, and we don't have to tell you because I'm in the communist state of New Jersey here. And that's one of the things that they do. And it's like parents are saying, wait a second, how, how is something like this even possible? So what's your take on this assault on parents in the country? No, it's disgraceful. I mean, I, I serve on the weaponization committee and we have seen firsthand just testimony from whistleblowers from the FBI agents who were tasked with sitting in a parking lot outside of a school board meeting, having to write down the license plate numbers of parents who were showing up at the meetings. I mean, it used to be that we were desperate to try to get folks to, to show up to these PTA meetings and school board meetings. You know, you'd rather watch paint dry in some cases. <laughs> now, now, you know, we see parents packing out the rooms and it's because you mess with our kids. That is a red line you don't cross. And you're going to see mama bears and papa bears that are just going to say, you know what? I've taken it. I've taken it. You can do certain things. You can, you, the taxes, the healthcare, you can pick your issue of the day when it comes to the kids. That's the red line. And that's why I think parents are going to help save this country. I think it's going to be the parents who step up and say, I'm doing this for my kids. I am going to draw the line and we're going to make sure that our kids still have that opportunity that was presented to us. That was what we grew up in, knowing that our country was a nation of equal opportunity, not equal outcome. And as hard as the left is trying to give every kid that that whole vision of it doesn't matter how hard you work you're going to have an equal outcome. Everybody in here is going to have an equal outcome. It doesn't matter. We're going to fight for that equal opportunity. And so I'm excited for what's coming because I see so many parents getting involved, getting engaged, really stepping up. And that is just encouraging to me. I, I know people have lost a lot of faith generally in the direction of our country. They've lost faith in the notion that, you know, we are that shining beacon right on the hill. But I tell people all the time, and parents are the perfect example of this. We are a nation of the most gritty, scrappy individuals, and we do our best work when our backs are up against a wall. And so I just think that parents are an exemplary example of that, because when you're exhausted, <laughs> when you when you are absolutely at your wits end, you still find those bright moments. And I just think that we have the best years ahead of us and our kids are going to benefit from the work that we do now. I, I pray to God you're right. I think, too, we need more families in the country. We have so many people that aren't even, you know, that, that, that we have our young people now that are afraid to get married, afraid to start kids, uh, start having kids. And uh, we definitely need to encourage more of that. That's why I think our birth rates are so low as well. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I just think there's so much against it. And I know obviously against the kids as well, to see all the stuff that's happening with these mutilation of kids that's going on, even these illegal, illegal immigrants, they're giving them sex changes in, uh, in California. They want to use the taxpayer money to do the sex changes for illegal. I mean, we went from a country that, that revolted that we went to war over a 3% tax on tea. Now your tax money is going for sex changes for illegal immigrants. And everyone's like, how did we get this far so fast? You know? I, I get, I mean, I, that's the whole thing. I feel like people are starting to wake up, you know, it's, I had Democrats when I wanted to play a video of the preeminent leading surgeon who does uh, prepubescent transgender surgeries out of Seattle. When I wanted to play the video of his interview, 
where he talks about how it's highly experimental and they're still figuring it out and they 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 don't know the long-term consequences, but they need more federal money to experiment yeah. on our kids, right? And then talks about how they need to explain or give these children their first sexual experience so they have a point of reference, like basically talking about sexually assaulting children, right, under the guise of medicine. Um I played this interview. It wasn't graphic or anything. It was just an interview with this doctor and the Democrats left the room. Like they left the room. They wouldn't even be in the room for an interview from a guy who's on their side. They don't want to hear it. And so it's just, this is what we're up against everywhere we turn. There's another battle, another fight, but I know we're up for it. I know we're up for it. We're not going to roll over. We're not going to give up our country. We're going to take our country back. Well, I'm glad you're one of the ones there fighting. I know I went over the time limit here. Uh, Congressman Kakimak, it, it's an, a pleasure. I could talk to you all day. I'd love to have you back on. Uh, keep Absolutely. fighting the good fight. Thank you for voting against this spending bill. Telling your friends to do the same. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on the Alec Lace Show. I appreciate it. Happy New Year. You too. All right. Honored to have Congresswoman Kat Kamak on the podcast here. Let me know what you thought about the interview. Hit me with a comment down below. Get involved in the live chat down there. Listen, uh, I, I, for one, am just sick and tired of seeing a lot of talk in Washington and no results. And it just seems like the Republican Party is getting beat to the pulp uh, by President Joe Biden and by the Democrats down there in Washington. It seems like it's their way or no way at all. Uh, just like I talked about previously, if you missed my interview with the Q shaman, uh, Jacob Chansley, flip it back and take a listen. Uh, it, it's just it's so frustrating that it seems like we're always playing from behind. We're always playing catch-up. We're always playing defense. Uh, I would. This is why we, we would love to see a single bill. Hey, here's the bill. We want to shut the border down until we get this thing under control. Do you vote yes or no? And let's see where the people stand. Because it's the border right now. Look, the birth rates in this country are down. And if you compare that with the death rates in the country, we're not gaining any new Americans here in the country. When you look at how many illegal immigrants are coming in, it is overwhelming. It's going to overwhelm the American population if we don't do nothing to stop it. And it seems like nobody cares unless they show up in your neighborhood. We just had them here in Jersey, in Edison. Now, we have a, a liberal ta- liberal city here in Jersey, Edison, and instead of sending them to New York, because New York doesn't know what to do with them anymore, they sent them to Edison, New Jersey. Here was the mayor of Edison and what he had to say. Make it clear that our position here in Edison Township is that they're not welcomed here. I had uh, directed my police department as well as my emergency management to charter a bus that would take them straight back to uh, the other side of the border if they were to actually try to come out. But that's something he could not do because these migrants are not undocumented. They were processed at the border and allowed into the U.S. And, and here's the frustration. It seems like everybody's willing to complain about it, but nobody is willing to do anything about it. This is why Mayorkas, yeah, okay, who comes in behind Mayorkas? What do we think? We're going to get some kind of knight in shining armor behind Mayorkas that's going to come in and do the right thing and close the border down? No. It, it just seems like nothing is happening here. Now, we've seen yesterday in New York City, we had these free Palestine protesters that shut down the Holland Tunnel, the Manhattan Bridge, and uh, other locations as well, right? They do that. Now, obviously, it seems like these free Palestine protesters are willing to go anywhere except Palestine to protest what's going on. They're willing to shut down anything in America, but they're not willing to go into Palestine itself to actually do anything. So it's frustrating. Now, you know how the New York commute is wild, especially on a, on a Monday. So yesterday, tempers were flaring. But here's the thing. 
Why? Imagine we had like a one uh, one of these protests at the border of just Americans lined up to stop the invasion going on and say, "Hey, here, you're not coming through. We're here to stop you." Now I know the the border is miles long and it's very hard to do something like that, but it's it almost seems like that's what it's going to take. It's going to take a human shield of Americans to block the illegals from coming in through the border. But the Democrats will find some way to catapult them over the line. They'll find a way to get them in here by hook or by crook, because uh, that's what they're doing and they're flooding. And again, it doesn't seem like it matters until they're right here in your neighborhood. And all of a sudden you're walking down the street going, wait a minute, where are all these people doing sleeping on the street? Where are all these people doing uh, waiting? And it just seems like until it smacks you in the face, it doesn't really affect anybody. We're just going about our business, watching TikTok videos, looking at the NFL uh, playoffs, and, and everyone just turns a blind eye. Eh, whatever, whatever's going on. And whatever's going to catch up with us very soon. All right, so... That's what I had for you guys today. Let me know what you thought about the interviews today. Hit me with a comment down below. If you're not following the channel, please do share it with everybody in your network. And again, I'm grateful to all of you listeners, all of you watchers out there who have uh, made this show a success. I mean, I launched it and within months, we, you know, I've, I racked up uh, 2 million views just here on Rumble alone. Uh, and again, I owe that all to you guys here and I'm just growing. And if you want, check out my other podcast, First Class Fatherhood. The link is down there below. Interviewed over 750 dads on that podcast there. All about fatherhood, all about family life. The family is the key to everything in this country. If we cannot strengthen our families in this country, if we cannot get dads back in the home, we have no shot. If we can't get God back in society, if we can't get law back on the streets, we're finished. Right? But first, we got to close the border or none of it's going to matter at all. All right, so that's all I got for you guys today. This was the first episode of 2024. I pray to God this is the year we reelect Donald Trump and make him the 47th president of the United States. Uh, again, hit me with your comments down below. Any guests, uh, suggestions that you'd like, anybody you'd like to hear on the podcast, follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Alec Lace, for all the upcoming guests' announcements that I'll have on the podcast here. God bless all you listeners out there. God bless all you American patriots that are out there, you parents that are listening, our veterans and our military. Uh, God bless America, and I will catch you guys Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here, live on Rumble. Take care. You're listening to The Alec Lace Show. Alec Lace has interviewed more than 700 dads on his award-winning podcast, First Class Fatherhood. Dads from all walks of life, including Tom Brady, Deion Sanders, Matthew McConaughey, Steve Harvey, Tony Hawk, Eric Trump, and so many more. Find out why First Class Fatherhood has been number one on the iTunes charts. Who these men are as fathers and how they raise their children is far more important than anything they accomplish in their careers. Alec Lace encourages his high-profile guests to share their fatherhood journeys and offer advice to new and soon-to-be dads. Let every father in your contact list know about First Class Fatherhood. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Every day is Father's Day on First Class Fatherhood. You're listening to The Alec Lace Show. The future is family.